From scripture this morning, Psalm 108 says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. And I don't know how much you and I do that. I've had this crazy song going through my head. Every once in a while, something goes, gets into my head and, and stays there, like called Roto-Rooter, that's the name. And away go troubles down the drain. Uh, but, you know, like, that's not what needs to be there. It says, I will sing of you, Lord, among the peoples. And, uh, man, we need to do this. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And, and if we could just walk around with this sense of God at work in our lives, wouldn't that be absolutely awesome? Let's pray together. Father, we confess that Often we get so busy with living here on this earth that we don't give you a whole lot of thought. And yet, we are never far from your thoughts. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. We've come into this place this morning to focus on you, Father God Almighty, to learn from your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and to acknowledge our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Father, grant us your peace, grant us insight, Lord, grant us the ability and the willingness to worship you and to walk with you even for this hour this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our Bible reading this morning is from a book that you probably don't notice a whole lot. It's a little book called Lamentations. Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and if you have your Bibles with you, if you can find Isaiah, and if you can find Jeremiah, um, Lamentations is tucked away in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and I would urge you to live there, or to go there. Not to live in Lamentations, but to go there. What happened was, in, in Bible history, was that during the time of Jeremiah, the city of Jerusalem got destroyed and the people were driven out. And they went through incredibly difficult times. It's like today, you and I see that on our TV of, of people who flee, they're refugees and, and they have no place to go and they just flee with whatever they can carry and, and they're gone and, and they've lost absolutely everything they've had and perhaps members of their family and whatever. And so Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Now, sometimes we find ourselves in these places, while the circumstances may not be exactly the same, we find ourselves with similar feelings. And so I want to read together with you this morning all of Lamentations chapter 3, or rather... Um, Verses 1 through 25 of that anyway, not all of the chapter, just 1 through 25 because there's 66 verses there. We don't want to do that that long. But read with me if you have your Bibles, Lamentations chapter 3, and see if you don't feel like this sometimes. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again 
all day long. Sometimes we feel like God is against us. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. <clears throat> he pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone. All that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who who seeks him, and then verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we feel all our hope is gone. And yet in the midst of this, Jeremiah says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks in him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. For those of you that have Bibles with you, please turn with me first of all to Proverbs chapter 16. Now, we at Emmanuel have been working on reading through a chapter of Proverbs every day, and, and I need to confess to you that I don't always make it. But today I did, and I found some nuggets, and uh, I want to share some of those with you this morning, and uh, I think they will probably line up with some of the things that we are talking about. So today uh, you would read Proverbs chapter 16. Um, And Melita, I thought of you when you asked for prayer this morning, and verse 9 says, in, a, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And uh, those are things that, that we can take great comfort in. And even um, verse 4 says, The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for day of disaster. And, and 
God is at work whether we like it or not and whether we like the way our lives have turned out or not. God is at work in each of our lives. Now, I want to take you this morning to a different proverb or one that we have. It's not in the Bible, but it's the one that we have uh, in our own language, in our own culture. And while, you're, while I'm thinking of that, I w- would like you to, poof, I would like you to turn to Job chapter 2. I'm trying to get my tongue in front of my eye teeth so I can see what I'm saying. Job chapter 2. Where'd my Job go? It's before Psalms, that's right. Jeremy, if you would throw that slide up there, the proverb that I want to deal with this morning, and I apologize for standing in front of it, um, and, and we are working on getting another mic so that I can perambulate while I'm preaching. Um, but the proverb that we have in our culture is a friend in need is a friend indeed. Now, you need to think about a little bit, like what on earth does that mean? There are four possible interpretations for that thing. It can mean that a friend, when you are indeed, or in need rather, is indeed a true friend. Okay, that's one of the possible interpretations. Or it can mean that a friend, when you are in need, is someone who is prepared to act to show it. Or it can be about a friend who is in need who will be a true friend to you. In other words, someone who is in need might really need your friendship. Or it can be a friend who is in need is someone who is prepared to act or to show it in deed. Now, you can think about each of those things and you can decide on it, but I think probably the best interpretation of that particular proverb is that a friend, when you are in need, is someone who is prepared to act to show it. A friend in need, a friend in a time of need, a friend who will be my friend when I have a need, is a friend indeed. But I want to talk about this, and that is probably the best interpretation of it, but let me turn that on its head a little bit and ask you the question, but what about a friend who is in need? How do you handle that? And, and we have friends like that, friends who have issues in their lives. How do we handle a friend who is in need, or in need rather? Um, if you have, uh, how do you deal with the needs of those around you? And if you take a look at it, if you think about it, uh, there are some people who have way too much need, way too much of that going on and they're users and you don't want to get involved in their lives because if you get involved in their lives, they're going to drain you. And so you might say, well, a friend in need, I don't want anything to do with that particular person. Or you might say, well, I have enough issues of my own, I don't need to deal with other people's issues. Or when you encounter a friend in need, you might say, well, I don't know what to do or say, and so our our tendency often is to do nothing. But if you have friends that you really care about, What are you going to do? How do you handle when things go awry in your friends' lives? How do you handle it when you have a friend who has a need? We've been talking about Job. 
And all we know about Job is that his life came undone. Well, let's, let's back up a little bit. You know about Job chapter 1, chapter 2. He had a good life. He was incredibly wealthy. He was incredibly powerful. Uh, in today's terms, Job was someone who lived fat, dumb, and happy. And, and he probably wasn't so dumb, but he had everything going for him. And you know the story how there was this conversation in the heavenlies where the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves one day before God, and Satan was also among them. And, and this, this power struggle of sorts developed between God and Satan, and, and, and God says to Satan, like, do you know, do you notice Job? He's a pretty good guy. And, and Job said, you know, let me at him. Or Satan said, let me at him. And God said, everything he has in your hands, has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And so Job lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his possessions. And then Satan came back to God, and God says, see, said, I told you Job would be a good guy. And Satan says, yeah, but let me add him himself. And so God said to Satan, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And the result of all that was, yes, he lost his possessions. He lost his children. He lost his health. He was in incredible pain and discomfort. And he also lost the support of his wife. His wife says to him, why don't you curse God and die and get it over with? And so he is all alone, and now here is someone who has terrific need, but Job has friends. And let me read you the story about Job's friends. And maybe you and I can learn some lessons on how to be a friend, or how not to be a friend, rather, to someone who is in need. If you have your Bible, uh, Job chapter 2, and we're going to start reading at verse 11 there. When Job's three friends, and their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. When Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, the reality is that life happens to all of us, whether or not you have faith or whether you don't have faith, whether you're careful or whether you're not careful, life happens to all of us. Now, old people get sick and die, and we expect that. But so do children and young people. Some people live hard and suffer for it, but others live carefully and still suffer. And the reality is that pain, both physical pain and emotional pain, is a very real part of life for every single person on this planet. We all experience pain to some degree or another, and so do our friends. Now, the reality is we, we have a tendency as human beings, you know, when life smiles, 
Uh, when life is good, we tend to be carefree and independent. But when life hurts, we tend to become needy people. Now, if you disagree with that, uh, just think of that little word, help. People will say that, help. Remember one time my, my girls and I were outside in our yard and the lady across the alley from us was hollering, help, help, help. And it was just like the TV commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. And it was. A couple of years ago, Richard and I were on a motorcycle trip and we were in Utah. It was an incredibly hot day. And I have no idea what happened, but I got incredibly, incredibly dizzy and my eyes were just rolling around in my head. And, and the whole, everything was moving right in front of me and we were standing on the edge of this humongous canyon. I got scared. And I'm trying to find my way around from there. I had to sit down and, and, and hang on to the fence so I wouldn't fall over. And, and a guy came up to me and says, Sir, are you all right? So I did what every man does. I lied. <laughs> Do you need help, sir? No. <laughs> I probably should have had help. And I wound up sitting there. I said to Richard, you go on a hike and I'm going to find some place where I can sit down. And I, I guzzled a couple of liters of water because I think dehydration was probably part of my problem and I probably had a sugar high from diabetes and all the rest of that and later on that evening was it was a scary experience and I thought how on earth am I going to get home you know how's Richard going to ride two motorcycles home and bring all my stuff <laughs> and when when life comes unglued we, we become needy and we holler help and and we need other people to help us now what happens when bad things happen to those we care about in our world and if you look at the big picture we care about people to whom bad things happen we're involved as a country we're involved internationally we were involved in europe in world war ii we're involved in we were involved in korea we were con involved in the balkans we're involved in iraq and afghanistan and libya and when there's famines and when there's tsunamis or there's earthquakes we as canadians get involved because we care about other people we we don't want other people to suffer we want to help we want to do something what can we do to help And when it involves friends or family, especially in a small town, we get involved. I remember one night when I was a teenager, uh, my dad had a barbershop on the main street of our town, about the same size as Nipawin. And, and, and one night, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, the cafe across the street from us caught fire, and the sporting goods shop was on one side of it, and the bank on the other. It was an absolutely huge event for our town. Flames were shooting way up out of the building. It was like 30 below Fahrenheit, and everything was freezing up. It was cold outside, and so, the, you know, it's a small town, and so we, people wanted to help. The radio station got on the air. My dad phoned the radio station and says, tell people to bring, you know, coffee and food and stuff to my barbershop, and the barbershop was open, and all the fire made a humongous mess, but, you know, the town pulled it together. We do those kind of things in small towns. When children have cancer, 
we get involved. And when it's family, it's something else. I learned something about my wife years ago. But here, here it is. And, and for those of you guys, you need to know this. Um, you never mess with the mama bear's cubs. You know that. But even more, you never, ever mess with the mama bear's grand cubs. <laughs> we get involved. And so in Job's world, here are these three friends. They heard about all this trouble. They, they did a lot of good things. One is they heard about it. In other words, they were involved. They cared. They heard about it. They set out from their homes. They lived in different places. The Bible says they met together by agreement. And so here's these three guys. And they meet together by agreement. And they agreed that they would go and they would sympathize with him and they would comfort him. Those were their intentions. We're going to get together with Job. We're going to sympathize with him and they're going to comfort him. And so when they got there, the Bible says that he was in such tough shape they hardly recognize him, and what they did was they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and nobody said a word. Now, all that was really good. It's probably the most, not the most comfortable place to be with someone who is in trouble like that. Job probably didn't look good didn't feel good, and didn't smell good. And sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do. I went to visit this lady one time, older lady, and I said to her, how are you today, Mrs. So-and-so? And she said to me, oh, I'm doing pretty good. She said, but there's stuff coming out of my big toe that looks like cottage cheese. Here, you want to see? No! <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. And for seven days and seven nights they sat there and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Up until that point of time, those three friends are doing really well. But they had a problem. And the problem usually comes when we open our mouths. Their problem was that they had a theological position. And they stated it kind of in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And Eliphaz said, Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. And here's, here's was, here is what their thinking was. In their thinking, their, their theology, their personal theology said that all suffering is a punishment for sin. And so that's where it started. And they thought to themselves, well, Job is suffering, therefore Job must be a sinner. 
And so they started into this round of speeches, three rounds of speeches, and at first they, they started hinting. They were, um, you know, they, they were hinting at Job's sin. Eliphaz said in chapter 5, verse 8, But if it were I, I would appeal to God, I would lay my cause before him. Bildad says, If you are pure and upright, and Zophar says, if you put away the sin that is in your hand. And so they were suggesting to, to Job that maybe he had sinned. He had done something wrong. That's why he had suffered. In the second round, they moved from suggestion to insinuation. Eliphaz said, the wicked are endangered. Bildad said, the wicked are forgotten and ensnared. And Zophar said, the wicked are short-lived and lose their wealth. Now, they weren't directly talking to Job. They were hinting. You know, they thought, maybe if we talk long enough, Job will get the message that we're talking about him. And maybe he'll repent. And so then in the third round, Eliphaz cited several sins of which he said was Job, Job was guilty, and one of them was extortion, and another one was stinginess. And, and Bildad announced outrightly that man is a worm, and Eliphaz repeated that Job needed to repent. But Job thought, you know what? If I could just have my day in court with God, If I could get God to appear in court, then I could prove that God is doing me wrong. And so then this fourth guy gets involved. And the Bible says he was a younger guy, chapter 33. He starts in, So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his sight. But Elihu, the fourth guy, gets involved now. And he says, I am young in years, but you are old. And he had kind of stood back and, and watched and listened. And, and he said, these three guys aren't getting anywhere. Now let me have a job. He said, I was daring to tell you. But now in chapter 33, verse 10, therefore I say, listen to me. I too will tell you what I know. I love these words. Uh, verse 17, I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know, for I am full of words. And the spirit within me compels me. Inside I am like a bottled up wine, like new wineskins, ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. And that's usually where we get into trouble when we start talking. And so he makes this speech that goes on for a number of chapters. And he said to Job, you bellyache that God is silent and he doesn't respond to me. But Elihu said, God does speak through dreams and pain. He said to Job, you complain that God is unjust and that he doesn't relieve you of your suffering. And Elihu said, yes, but God is just. And then Job, com Job complained rather that God is unconcerned. He does not reward me for my innocence. And Elihu said, God is sovereign. You see, most of the time we do really well until we open our mouths when it comes to helping a friend who is hurting. I told you this story before, but I need to tell it again. A number of years ago, Kathy's father passed away. Now, we being a good frugal, or they being a good frugal Mennonite family, the, the funeral home was three hours away, and so we decided that rather than go to the funeral home or have the funeral home 
bring Kathy's dad to, to their hometown that for the viewing the evening before, like we do in Ipwin here, that, that we would just have them bring the body early before the funeral and we would have the viewing in the church just prior to the service. And so, fine. Uh, it was a good plan. And so uh, we gathered as a family, we gathered around the casket and, and here is Kathy's dad laying there in his casket. Now you need to recognize that, that Kathy's mom and dad are a very prim and proper Mennonite family. They never show any emotion or affection in public. I mean, the first time we saw them kiss was on their 25th anniversary. And it was kind of weird because we never saw that kind of stuff before. So now, and, and mom's in a wheelchair. And so I wheel her up to the edge of the casket and, and she, she puts her hand on her husband and just totally loses it. Just sobbing. And, and we're gathered around her, and, and kids have their arms around mom, and, and, and she is sobbing. And, and after a while, we kind of get it together, and we, we know that we need to go out into the church service for, for the funeral. And as we come out of this room, there are a number of other friends and family that are gathered around. And here's my mother-in-law's best friend. Means well, but puts her foot in her mouth all the time. And so she comes up to my mother-in-law and puts her arms around her and says, Oh, Elizabeth, I feel so sorry for you. It gets way worse yet. She was right. It's going to get way worse. But you know, like, like sometimes we do really well. And, and we know this lady, and, and, and we're not, not holding that against her. But, you, you know, it, it was funny. It really was. Still a family thing that we have. Gets way worse. But most of the time we do really well until we start to speak. But you know what? If our personal theology does not line up with what we know the Bible to say, you and I need to be really careful. Because sometimes we have something in our heads that says this is the way we believe the world to be. And scripture might not back that up. And so we have a choice to make. Either uh, the Bible is not true and trustworthy. In other words, if what I see does not line up with what I read, then I have choices to make. And so I can say the Bible is not true or trustworthy. I don't like that. The other thing that I can say is God is a liar and can't be trusted, and I don't like that either. But there are times that I have to say, you know what, I don't really know. I don't fully understand this yet. And, and, and people will come to me sometimes and ask for answers. And, and you know, there are times that I say, well, you come into my office sometime and you sit down and why is this happening to me? And I will say to you, like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain everything. Now, do you remember... Do you remember Job's, i got to go up, back up here. Do you remember Job's friends? What was their intent? Their intention was that they would get together with him, what, to, to sympathize with him, 
and to comfort him. Look at what, what Job said to his friends, what he thought of, of their efforts. Uh, chapter 16. Um, I got to go fly here, just about out of time. He said, Job replied, I have heard many things like these miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? I thought you were going to come and comfort me. Chapter 19, verses 1 uh, and on, he says, Job says, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. Chapter 21, verses 1 to 3, Job replied, Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. Chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. How you have helped the powerless. How you have saved the arm that is feeble. What advice you have offered to one without wisdom. And what great insight you have displayed. Job said in one place, doubtless you are the people and wisdom will die with you. And so after all that, God says to Job's friends in chapter 42, he says, you know what, guys? You were wrong. Chapter 42 says, you have not spoken of me. God says to those three friends, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So what do you do? How do you be a friend to someone who is in need? Let me give you a hint. I don't have all the answers. But a number of years ago, I went through a very difficult experience with depression. It was the coldest, darkest, loneliest place that I have ever been. I don't know how many times I walked out of church. I didn't need advice. I didn't need answers. I'd been to Bible college for four years. I'd been a pastor for two years. I know what I should do. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. And I would walk out of church, and I would, we were, we were in between, it was before we came to Nippon, and I would go find my logging truck, and I would go home and get my stuff and, and, and park my logging truck outside of church and wait for Kathy and the girls to come out, and I would say, I'm going to camp. I worked four hours away from home. I said, I'm going to camp. I don't know if I'm going to ever come home again. And I did that numerous times. When you're hurting, when you're in pain, you're like a dog that's been hit by a car. Even though it's your dog, you try and help that dog, that dog will bite you. And I snarled at all my friends. I drove my friends away. They didn't know what to do with me. I was cranky. I was grouchy. I was miserable. I was no fun to be around at all. And finally, one day, I had walked out of church. And I was sitting in our pickup outside a church. And one of the deacons, one of the elders, came over, walked, came around outside, and he tapped on my window, and he says, put the window down. 
I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I put the window down. And he reached in and he put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, Bill, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I don't know what I can do to help you. But I just want you to know I care. Then he walked away. And about then, I think, is when the healing started. It took another year or so, and we wound up here a year and a half later. Sometimes to be a friend, the mistake that you have, or you, we, you and I make, is giving advice when it's not answered, or when it's not wanted. And giving answers when we don't really have any. God said to Job's friends, you were wrong. Their intentions were good. But they were wrong. And they failed. Job said, miserable comforters you are. And sometimes you and I need to be a friend. Not to give advice. Not to do things for people, but simply to be there. To put an arm around someone and say, hey, I care. That's it. Don't promise anything you can't deliver. Just be there. Just be a friend. You and I have a friend like that. His name is Jesus. Doesn't always solve our problems for us. But we can always go to him. We always know he cares. We always know, I know that the Lord has plans for me. I know that his compassions never fail, that his mercies are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness, like we read in Lamentations. And I trust that will help us to be the kind of friends that people really need when they are a friend who is in need. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize in theory that you know what is best, that you can do anything you want to do, that we have no right to judge you or to demand anything from you. And yet, Lord, there are times that we really hurt ourselves and times that our friends are really hurting. We don't have answers. Lord, Job's three friends failed. But help us, Lord, to be the kind of friend that Jesus is to us. We can always go to with our troubles, our trials. He never condemns. He never tells us we are ridiculous. We can always count on him to be there. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to be that kind of friend. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us tenderness. Give us compassion. And then help us to do what is right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We're dismissed.